and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we're talking, we're going to talk about COVID again, guys. Honestly, we're still talking about COVID, but but we, we've got a different gimmick. No, it's, it's not, not a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. We have a different aspect. We're going to talk about health, safety, and the laws. Take it away, Steve. And, and we can talk <laughs> about health, safety, and law because although we're not doctors, so we can't go too deep into health, we can read and we do. So we know enough health stuff about COVID-19 to speak knowledgeably enough about that. As it applies to event professionals and even to tours, we'll, we'll get to that towards the end of this pod. But good thing for us, we are pretty expert in safety. So remember, this is about health, safety, and law. We are quite expert in safety matters related to live events. We are, after all, the Event Safety Podcast. And lucky for us, when it comes to talking about law at live events, well, we have me. We have a lawyer. (laughs) A lawyer. Who else really can say that? Come on, podcast people. We're up in our game. So we're going to talk about health, safety, and law here. Um, let's not dilly-dally. Time is short. Attention spans are shorter. So let's go with a controversy that – controversy in big air quotes. A controversy that has been posed to me any number of times hey, recently. Steve, Steve, I have a question for you. Are you vaccinated? I am vaccinated, Danielle, <laughs> and I'm okay saying that. In fact, when I when I gave some presentations <laughs> recently, I held up my card so that everyone could see my exact vaccination data because I don't have a privacy interest in this. So, okay, Danielle, we, we, we've now posed a question to me. Question back to you. Do you know what HIPAA stands for? Do you know the acronym H-I-P-A-A? Oh. If I had to guess, it's something like health information and privacy, and I don't know what the other ones are for. (laughs) Well, you got one word, right? Health. All right. Um, So HIPAA. Not a doctor, remember? Well, exactly. We we are showing our credentials (laughs) quite nakedly here. Um, So HIPAA is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, (laughs) H-I-P-A-A. Accountability. Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Now, the important- The important thing to know about HIPAA is who it applies to, the context in which HIPAA exists. And where this part of the conversation is going is leading to a Venn diagram. And we're going to have Jacob um, put the Venn diagram about HIPAA and events into the show notes because I think it will resonate with you. But let's lay the foundation. Let's tee up the issue so that then you know why this is worth discussing and and so that you're armed when somebody says, oh, I have a HIPAA right to privacy in my my vaccination status. Short answer, no, they don't. They don't. So so HIPAA, all those forms you fill out when you go to the doctor that says who can get your information and who can't. That's exactly right. The word there is at the doctor, what the doctor can tell you, other people. That, right. That's precisely it. And so- Did I mention I'm not a doctor? Right, we're not doctors, but again, <laughs> we can read and I'm mm-hmm. a lawyer. So right. I, because I'm a lawyer and also a super nerd, um, I have read the Code of Federal Regulations, which is where HIPAA lives. It's a federal regulation. And 
I have skimmed the federal register where HIPAA was initially discussed and then ultimately passed into law. Um, and so I'm quite confident that what I'm about to say is true and accurate. So draw near and be heard. I'm about to do a dramatic reading. If you listen to this podcast at story time, this may lull you into a deep, comfortable sleep. Here you go, kids. Um, HIPAA covers health. So listen to the list of nouns. HIPAA covers healthcare providers, health plans, healthcare clearing houses, and business associates of HIPAA covered entities. I'll say those again. Healthcare providers, so look for yourself in this list. Event safety podcast listener, look for yourself. Are you a healthcare provider? Probably not. No. Are you a health plan? Danielle, no. are you a health plan? No. No. Nope. no. Um, are you a healthcare clearing house, which is a defined term? No. No, Definitely you're not. not. Um, are you a business associate of one of those HIPAA covered entities? No. No. In fact, you are none of those things. Danielle Hernandez at Furman University, you are none of those things. And dear gentle podcast listener, I'm willing to put a few shekels that you're not either. You're not. Because all of these healthcare entities are not in the event industry. Likewise, we event professionals are not in the healthcare industry. And so now we get to our Venn diagram. You know what a Venn diagram is? It's usually two circles with some area of intersection. And the area of intersection is the common ground yeah. that we want to discuss. Well, here, when talking about HIPAA and events, we use a Venn diagram to illustrate the complete and total 100% disconnect between hospitals, clinics, physicians, nursing homes, pharmacies, chiropractors, dentists, psychologists, and all manner of other healthcare providers versus, so that's all in one circle of our Venn diagram versus events and event right. professionals and all of the, the vendors and contractors who work on events, they're all in a completely different circle with no area of intersection whatsoever. Right. So, so all the paperwork that you may fill out at an event, for an event, or to work an event, none of them is a HIPAA form. Right. Because it's not has, relevant. <laughs> HIPAA is not relevant. So when I get asked, you know, Steve, you know, what do you say to somebody who comes up to the, you know, the point of ingress and they're asked for their vaccination status and they assert boldly, you know, I don't have to show you my vaccination status. I say they're wrong. They're wrong. The legal term is wrong. Um, there are other words for that as well, but let's just stick with the legal term. It is factually and legally incorrect if somebody asserts to you that HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, gives them a legal right to not show you their vaccination status. That is a false statement. You can look it up in the Code of Federal Regulations, but I don't recommend that. It's long and boring. You can so insomnia. It. If you oh, insomnia, definitely go for yes. It. Um, so, so how does that apply? You know, let's say you're do, you're doing children's theater this summer, the first time in two years. Kids are delighted. What can and can't you do? 
in terms of vaccination tests. There's other rules, guys. So if we're talking about young children, young being defined as less than 12 years old, they are not currently, as we record this pod today, they're not currently eligible to be vaccinated. Happily, they're also at the lowest risk of becoming infected or transmitting it to other people. That's why we're going in order of age from oldest to youngest. We, the physicians and epidemiologists and public health experts. As far as what event professionals can do, we're in a service industry and we are supposed to be kind and accommodating and nice. Um, You know, those things don't necessarily come naturally to lawyers. So I'm just going to say it. What I believe in is communication. So if you're going to ask people what their healthcare status is, in this case, their vaccination status, let them know in advance what the expectations are, what will happen when they show up at the door. Put it on the website, assuming that there is one for that event. If it's a ticketed event, there's going to be some place to purchase or obtain a ticket. Put it on the ticketing platform. If there's a parking lot that people are going to walk up from towards the front doors of the venue, have a little signage. It doesn't have to be anything terribly expensive. If it's a kid's event, ask one of the kids to do it. Every parent loves looking at kids' handwriting. Get some good crayons. Um, (laughs) The point is, if you inform people in advance of what the expectations are, you're more likely to get more compliance and less pushback. Is that legal advice? No. But we all know that that's true. Communication of expectations is good. And that's why, you know, when you go to, say, a sporting event, there's a fan code of conduct. It's on the website. It's on signage. It's on, you know, various other things and in various other places. Managing expectations is part of the game here. And I don't mean to minimize what we're talking about here by saying that it's a game, but dealing with people who know better, but who for whatever reason, want to push the limits, that I think is a game and you can play it well and you can play it successfully by communicating exactly what you expect and what the consequences are of somebody meeting your expectations. Welcome! And what the consequences are if somebody doesn't meet your expectations. See ya! (laughs) So so let's take kids out of it because excellent point. Uh, I'm happy to brag that my children will be, they got their second dose of their vaccine because my youngest is over 12, just barely. And the other one is a teenager for real. And I'm over the moon for that. Um, But most, there's a whole chunk of kids that aren't in that category yet. So let's, let's change shows. Uh, Opera, all adults. It is, from what I hear, it is okay to ask the vaccination status of Every performer, every musician, every crew member, every producer, every audience member. Correct? Yes. Okay. So, yay! Um, let's say, so I want to talk a little bit about it. It's like the pushback that you would get from somebody who shows up at that show that is not following any of the rules. They're belligerent about showing or attesting to in any way their vaccination says they're not abiding by any social distancing or masking policies that you may have. And in general, they are 
not not playing the team sport. So, so let's what's do the deal there? Let's talk about this pushback scenario. First, let's talk about front of house pushback. Yeah. So guests. And then let's talk about back of house pushback, which is basically employment or independent contractor status. So let, let's divide it up that way because the answers are overlapping, but they're a little different. There's some so, nuance. Yeah, there's some nuance here. And sorry if you don't like nuance, but we're going to explain it. It won't hurt a bit. Um, front of house. So here's some law for you. This is the rare situation. You know, I have been joked with for years that lawyers never give a straight answer to anything. I was actually teaching a class once. And at the end of the the week long class that I taught, they had heard it depends as my answer to questions so many times. (laughs) Danielle, I think you've heard this, that my students actually gave me a package of depends diapers because they thought that was so funny. <laughs> it, it actually was funny. So I gave them that. Anyway, this is the rare situation when there is a cut and dried answer. So again, teeing up the question. The question is, what can you do if somebody who is a patron, a guest, doesn't want to play by your no shoes, no shirt, no service rule? The legal answer has to do with the status of someone when they come to the door. A ticket holder, whether they paid for that ticket or it's a free ticketed event, the ticket holder is called a business invitee. That is the legal term, a business invitee. The invitation of a business invitee is conditional. It's a conditional invitation. What's it conditioned on? It's conditioned on whatever are the rules of that venue, that event. So, you know, we all grew up knowing the term no shoes, no shirt, no service. Those are all conditions of one's invitation. If you, you know, walk up to your local Chipotle like some lady did last night where I was eating dinner without wearing shoes, she could have been denied admission. As it turns out, the kids behind the counter were busy making burrito bowls and they didn't notice that she walked in barefoot. It was simply disgusting, but she got her own stuff. We, I know, gross. <laughs> Sorry. We, we could, and that's actually happened. Um, we condition invitations on all sorts of things. During the pandemic, invitations have been conditioned on first wearing a face covering and maintaining social distancing. More recently, on vaccination status in some places, there have been vaccine-only seating areas in some indoor arenas, which I think is really clever. Um, But the point is, invitations have always been conditional, you know, going back to before we were kids. So there's no new law here. The status of a visitor to a venue is they are a business invitee and their invitation is conditional on their compliance with whatever are the rules of that venue at that time. If they violate their conditional invitation, the the terms of their invitation, if they take off their shoes, if they take off their shirt, metaphorically or physically, then the law magically changes their status from business invitee to trespasser. Trespasser is the legal status of somebody who is on the property of another party who no longer has an invitation to be there. 
You know, somebody says, oh, Danielle, you have a lovely living room. I'm going to sit on your sofa and watch your television. That person is a trespasser. We all know that. So the law actually has this status that someone who has violated the conditions of their invitation magically is transformed into a trespasser. And finally, we get to the point of this story that you all know, gentle podcast listeners, which is we all know what to do with a trespasser. We trespass them off the property. That's the answer. That's what you do. That's what the law allows you to do wherever you're located. You know, whatever state or Canadian friends, this is exactly the same law for you as well, because you're another common law country. When somebody violates the conditions upon which their invitation is based, they are a trespasser and the venue can warn them if they're nice, can give them a second warning if they're um, really nice or lax, and then can throw their butt out of the venue. And we have seen this, um, NBA basketball fans, we have seen this about five times in the last couple of weeks. And this is very unfortunate and troubling on a number of levels, where we've seen fans engaged in really terrible behavior towards players and families of players. And they've gotten thrown out of the building on that night, which is good and kind of a bare minimum. And the teams or the venues or some combination of whatever is the operating entity for that NBA basketball game has been revoking the invitation of that fan or those fans on a permanent or semi-permanent basis. And that is perfectly allowable because every business invitation is conditioned upon complying with the rules. It is that simple. Do wonder if we've just forgotten how to human in groups. Um, oh, God forbid, as we, as you know, vaccines <laughs> allow us to human in groups again. I really hope that, you know, the last 14 or 15 months or four years or however long. However, whatever your metric is. <laughs> yeah, whatever your, your periodization of assholery is, um, I really hope that we are not hopelessly lost in the ability to get along nicely with other people in tribal settings. But anyway, that's okay. So, so then we, then we go back a house. So, you know, my performers, my stage crew, my house management staff, my athletes, if I'm doing sports, which guys, I'm not doing sports. That's not news. <laughs> if you've listened to this at all, you know that that's not true, but uh, yeah. Danielle is so. looking super buff these days. <laughs> No COVID bods here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, so so these are all employees, either of myself or of a of myself, of themselves, or of a third party that I'm contracting with. What 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 are the rules with them? So when talking about back of house issues, now we're in the realm of employment law and for the most part, this is also a very straightforward answer. So you're not going to be able to you know, send me any adult diapers for this conversation at all. <laughs> Both Danielle and I, so Danielle's in South Carolina, I'm in Arizona. Um, we are in what's called a right to work state. 
right to work is one of those amazing misnomers that actually means precisely the opposite of what it purports to mean. Um, I like so, the right to employ. I can employ you or I don't have to. Yeah. And, and it's the latter part that matters, that you don't have to. So really the significance of being in a right to work state, which most states in the U.S. now are, um, although there are some unions that subvert the right to work legal status that a state legislature passes by private contract. So if you're in, say, an IATSE unionized workplace, the IATSE union rules will take precedence over a state that is otherwise a right to work state because contract law can, can. Sure. Uh, yeah. So anyway, for the most part, you podcast listener are in a right to work state. And if you're touring, you're going to tour through right, right to work states which means your ability to work, much like the fan at the front of the house, your ability to work back of house is conditional. You have to follow the venue rules just like the fans at the front. You have to follow the venue rules, which can be fairly draconian because really the only place that a venue cannot go as far as establishing rules for working there is they can't violate the due process clause of the U.S. Constitution or any analogous state constitutional provisions. And what that means in English is, you know, if somebody doesn't like the way you speak, you can be fired. If they don't like your haircut, you can be fired. If they don't like how tall or short you are, slim or fat, you can be fired. If they don't like your work performance, you can be fired. If they don't like your vaccination status or your unwillingness to state your vaccination status, you can be fired. There is not a right to work in in any particular place of employment, unless the state legislature expressly makes that a rule. And admittedly, some U.S. states are trying to do that. Um, yeah, so South as Carolina is one of them. There's actually legislation working its way through somewhere where employers are not allowed to, I believe it's both things. I believe you're not allowed to ask and you're not allowed. You're specifically not allowed to require a vaccine for employment, which is interesting in a right to work state. <laughs> which is super interesting because it is exactly contrary. It is diametrically opposed to the entire concept of right to work, which is the employer gets to do everything that they want to do with no restrictions, except the very few race, religion, creed, or color restrictions in the due process clause of the U.S. Constitution. Um, so it's really fascinating to see state legislatures kind of doing, you know, extreme gymnastics to justify undermining their own employer-friendly rules in the right-to-work legislative scheme by carving out exceptions based on some notion that people have a privacy right to their vaccine status, which, as we just discussed, they don't. Hmm. So 
the next step in this journey is the vaccine passport, which is already illegal in several states. I believe South Carolina is one of them. I know Florida is because that keeps coming up in the news because the cruise industry keeps trying to sue about it. Um, New York State, as in our more most recent pod with with our friends from New York, they uh, they have them. Uh, I actually download the app. I'm like, cool. If I go to see my parents, I can you know use this app. And and but what I discovered is that since I was not vaccinated, I am vaccinated. I was not vaccinated in New York. I can't actually use that. They won't accept my credential because apparently it's not the the easily copied or forged. Uh, no, counterfeited card. It's they actually check with the lab. So, okay. So how do I go to a show in New York? Um, I don't know. It's not relevant yet. But I mean, what what's the deal with the the vaccine passports? And how is that going to affect people that are touring? Because I keep seeing announcements of tours coming up, and and people are very excited about them. I'm also very excited about them. But these people are going to go from a state where you're mandated to have a vaccine passport to a state where you're not allowed to ask anyone and to another state where it's some combination. And, and it's that nightmare of patchworkness uh, that the ESA actually was founded to prevent. And, and Danielle, I was just about to make that exact point. So history lesson for you podcast listeners. The Event Safety Alliance was born in the wake of the 2011 Indiana State Fair stage roof collapse. And the first thing that this brand new baby entity ESA did was we met with then Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels and his legislative leadership team to try to convince them, we did, that having an Indiana specific set of safety regulations that would affect tours was a bad idea for Indiana because Indiana would be an outlier. They would be harder to enter and tour in than their neighboring states. And effectively, you know, with the best of intentions, they would turn their own state into a flyover state and shows wouldn't go there because it would be harder to go there than any place else. So, yeah, the founding idea of ESA is uniformity at a high standard of safety is the best way of doing it. Now, ironically, 11 years or 10 years later, we are in that exact same place, except now there is going to be this patchwork quilt of you know, inconsistent and often contradictory rules. So yeah, if you are listening to this and you know getting ready to go out on tour, damn grateful for the work, You've got another problem, which is, you know, Clear doesn't have its vaccine passport technology up and running yet. You know, IBM, I hear, is working on a passport as well. I I hear from, you know, guys who look like they had major stock options in technology companies, and they're talking about all sorts of technology. And the first thing that I'm wondering is, who's paying for all this? You know, which people who've been out of work for the last 15 months are forking over the money for this stuff? But aside from that, there is going to be, there are going to be private versions of New York's Excelsior Pass technology they don't exist yet. I don't know on what basis people are going to require um, yeah. that tours use them. Well, and and there's also that 
you know, at what point does, does COVID become like the flu? And I don't mean this in terms of danger or death or severe illness. I mean, in terms of, we say you should get a flu shot. If the flu is running rampant in your community, you should take precautions. We don't shut everything down and we don't require your vaccine status for your flu shot because it becomes personal responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that we're there yet with COVID, but I saw a picture on LinkedIn of you at a baseball game with, what was it, 8,000 of your closest friends? Yeah, it was was a soccer (laughs) match on Saturday night. It was fantastic. Right, but I mean, it's just like, at some point, does it become personal responsibility? Does it become the responsibility of each of us or each of our employers, or depending on, you know, your circumstance, to make sure that you and your closest are, and I don't know the answer to them legitimately. I just don't, it's like, when is that tipping point? When do those vaccine passport apps become anachronistic? Well, it's interesting that you put it that way because one of the rich looking technology guys who was on a panel discussion with me late last week said exactly that. And I think he was a bit sheepish in the admission because became apparent he had some skin in the game. And even he acknowledged that by the time the technology was ready, it might be irrelevant Um, because of the reason that you say, you know, when I went to this soccer match Saturday night with 8,000 of my nearest and dearest, it was outdoors. It was Phoenix. So it was a thousand degrees. And, you know, if, if heat kills coronavirus, we were all in okay shape. But to be honest, I wasn't concerned about the unvaccinated people near me because their choice was their problem. And I had taken all the precautions that I was able to up to that time. But then I sat down in my seat and I was sitting next to another guy who I did not know. And, you know, there was a language barrier, so I didn't chat with him. And I don't know if he was vaccinated or not. I do know that neither of us was wearing a face covering. And, you know, we were certainly less than six feet distance from each other, much less from the, you know, people in front of us and behind us. So I do think that, you know, regardless of where we are in the chase for herd immunity, there's going to come a point when People like Danielle, you and I and podcast listeners, I'm really hoping that most, if not all of you are vaccinated, that we simply won't, can't say won't care because we'll always care, but it won't be something that we will concern ourselves with because we will have taken the precautions that we can. And, you know, if people either don't believe coronavirus is real, uh, about 600,000 deceased Americans would beg to differ if they could. Um, but if they choose not to take precautions, that's kind of on them. So it basically becomes a, a regular risk. Uh, yeah. Not, I mean, in not, economics, not, it, it's yeah. the free rider problem. You know, I remember first year of college, I took economics kind of at gunpoint because my parents thought it was a good idea. And it sort of was. Um, 
And the free rider problem is people who choose not to expend the energy or expense to do something that most other people are doing for some societal benefit. And they simply ride along for free, deriving the benefit, even though they did nothing to contribute to it. Yeah. So that know, guy on the group project that just right. the person on the group project that just, you know, gets credit. Doesn't do right. any of the work. <laughs> right. You know, think about high school, your old lab partner. Yep. You know, that, that's the free rider problem in a nutshell. Yeah. And, you know, coronavirus vaccination is like that. You know, did you do something to hurt your lazy lab partner? No, you just did their work and did your own also because you wanted the grade and, you know, maybe even wanted to learn something about chemistry, I guess. Um, that's kind of where we are as a society right now. It seems yeah. to me incumbent upon all of us to do the things that we're legally able to do and take care of ourselves and the people that we love and try to influence those that we like um, to, and to join. Try to yeah. And try to protect the people that, that are so medically fragile that they either can't get a vaccine or, the vaccines are less effective because their immune systems are not. And this is true of any illness, actually. Their, their immune systems are just not up to snuff. So people around them being vaccinated for the flu and COVID and, you know, whatever, those, those measles, mumps, and rubellas, vaccines that you're required to get to go to high school, uh, all those help protect those people. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, a caring for others not just caring for yourself. So if caring for yourself is the thing that, you know, it was a strong motivator for me. I was like, I want to be able to go and see people again. I must get vaccinated. <laughs> so, you know, it's, there, there's a lot to consider. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, I'm going to issue sort of a, a caveat, you know, because that's what lawyers do. It's really an apology. I often speak like this is completely obvious and anyone who doesn't do exactly as I say is, you know, somehow less than, and I don't mean to do that. You know, there are reasonable arguments to be made. I understand that some people have genuine health issues. Pregnancy is not one of them. Um, CDC has dealt with that. I, I had an interesting exchange with somebody that I used to work with who I like and respect and she made some comments about how her doctor told her not to put metals in her body. And I didn't know if that was a legitimate thing or not. So I did some research and I found the ingredients of both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and satisfied myself that neither of them has any metals. And I sent her that information because I like her. And I think that she just, I don't know where she got her information from, but it was factually wrong. Yeah. So I guess for my part, because I know that I can come across as a bit snarky about this stuff, I am acknowledging this isn't always easy. It's not. You know, health and safety and life and death, which is what we're talking about here, as well as livelihoods and seeing you know, little kids and grandparents that we love and haven't seen in a long time, that's all pretty heavy stuff. So I grant that we should all give these issues thought. I guess where I 
come down on is I want you to know what you're able to do legally, ethically, morally. I want you to feel empowered to take a strong stand because there are people out there who are going to assert a false equivalency that, you know, both arguments are equally valid. No, not necessarily. There are arguments on both sides or many different arguments. That's always true, you know, but it's like the old Monty Python argument skit. Sometimes contradiction is just that. It's just saying, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. (laughs) That's not making an argument. Right. Sorry, time's up. Um, that, that is not a reasoned argument. So I'm always up for a reasoned discussion based on facts and reality. And I'm not at all snarky or cynical about that. But I have a very low threshold. And frankly, podcast listeners, I'm suggesting that you can also I have a very low threshold of tolerance for people who are simply opposition, oppositional or confrontational or asserting some you know, identity of, you know, this is my liberty interest. No, it's not. That's not a thing. And, And I want you to feel strong about holding the line because if you do hold the line, you're protecting not only your own health and safety, but that of everybody else at your venue, at your event, in your home. And these are important things. Well, that's a beautiful place to wrap this up. As always, we like to thank Jake for doing all of our engineering. He is a fantastic, never, almost never heard resource uh, uh, that we couldn't do this without. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcasteventsafetyalliance.org. We're also on social media. You can find us there. Special announcement. It's not out yet, but the Event Safety Summit is happening this year and Expect an announcement soon. It's going to be great. It's going to be we're going to be there in Lidditz. We're going to be there and we're going to be virtual because, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, I could have never, ever come to this when they attended it virtually last year. It's like, guess what? You can attend it virtually again. We can't wait to see you. All right. So the announcement's coming soon. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe.